1: You are listening to S.P.N., the Sports Podcasting Network. The Five Rings Podcast, your weekly amateur sports and Olympic sports show with Dwayne Rolls and Kevin Laramie. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins.
0: Kevin, we're here in a country of Canada that is passionate about the sport of ice hockey, as you well know. Yeah. And in the in following uh, the glorious victory of the Canadian <laughs> national team in the Gary Undefeated. Batman Super Duper Invitational of Hockey.
1: You had to say national team there? Come on. The, the, whatever it was, it's a, a team in a tournament yeah, that was branded Canada. Canada.
0: Yes, yeah, following that, of course, we're going to give it exactly... This amount of coverage. Canada won the thing that they called the World Cup. Ah, So Um,
1: close to Team Europe, though. I was cheering so hard for Team Europe. I
0: I, Yeah, I went to a couple I'm not going to lie. I went to a couple games because they were cheap. It was $6 to get into the games here uh, on (laughs) StubHub, obviously. They were $100 face value, and that tells you how they misvalued this thing. Anyway, the reason I'm talking about this very briefly is first to mention that we're not going to cover it. Second of all, it kind of segues into the topic that we're going to do in our interview, and I'll tell you why. We have Cody Royal on. Cody Royal is the head coach of AFL Canada, Aussie Rules Canada. And the, he uh, runs the, well, he's the head coach of the national team. And, and it is part of his mandate to try and grow the sport here and participate in the International Cup of Aussie Rules, which takes place next year in Melbourne. And one thing that they do in that tournament that I think maybe hockey might need to start thinking about is they don't include Australia in that because that would be ridiculous, <laughs> as it's kind of getting ridiculous on international hockey.
1: Uh, oh, uh, I've seen a stat. Jonathan Tave is, what, 46-1-1 one and one, since playing for Canada or something? It's, it's, it's kind of mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, look, yeah, it's it, it, it's not even becoming competitive anymore. And that's about all I'm going to say to that. If they want to have that format they used in the quote-unquote World Cup, first off, don't call it a World Cup because I'm self-intelligent.
1: Because there's two groups of four and you made the groups. No draw was involved
0: yeah just make it or no qualifying, just make it a full a full fun kind of tournament i'd watch that i'd be okay with that if you had team. i i'd like to see team quebec playing against team ontario playing against the west uh playing against uh, the u.s west and east and maybe you have like some kind of the, the european teams come in I, I would find that format kind of fun but don't call it the world cup and that's all i'm going to say about the damn tournament canada won it blah 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 let's move on uh kevin how you doing <laughs>
1: I am doing pretty good. You know, it's interesting though, speaking of uh, Aussie World Football, I've always wondered like, because it's on a cricket ground, it's so big, it's so intricate, so different of a sport than we're used to because it's a little bit of a mix of a couple of the sports. It's, I've always wondered how it started, how it, like, it began, how it evolved, and the fact that it's using cricket grounds because those were present and all that. It's fascinating to me how a sport can develop to such a level at one place in particular in the world and because of well the nature of australia where it's just an island that game was isolated for a long time and now it's spreading his tentacles across the world in some way so it's interesting to see how a sport can uh, become so popular in one region and trying to uh, transplant that somewhere else
0: yeah, look, you know, that is a fascinating sort of uh, you know thought process, right? Like a sort well, because uh,
1: if you think about it, it's all the same sports. Soccer, rugby, football, uh, American football. It's, I imagine like 2,000 years ago, they were all playing like a similar sport. Then they all got transplanted somewhere, and that sport evolved there, right? It's kind of the, that story yeah. a bit.
0: All sports origin are organic in their origin, and then they eventually get codified. And when you look at Australian rules football – and you watch some of the stuff they do on there, you can really see the direct connections to the playground. At least I can. Like some of the rules, they're kind of like, they're codified now, so people take them for granted. But when you think about them, you can imagine... Like a fifteen-year-old kid making it up as they went along. Okay, so what we need to do here is we need to kick the ball for foot. If you catch it, we get to start there. That's kind of like the basics of Aussie rule football. Uh, yeah, we're but bounce. if you get
1: the if you get a guy too close, you get to keep it too. You, get, you get to keep a chance to catch it, and you cannot like just ran into everybody. But if you're a wide open, you the guys wide open, I could just lay you out.
0: Yeah, look, and you think back to when you were a kid. You used to make games up as you went along, right? And eventually, you never wrote the rules down, but everyone understood the rules at one point, and that's what's so beautiful about a sport. About a sport like this, and what well, makes it makes so
1: fascinating. Kickball, like right? Kickball. We all had the same similar rule, but it was never written down.
0: Yeah, and there's variations in terms of where you different play. There's a game um, we call it. We used to call it wall ball. Uh, I've seen it play. There's actually a league here in Toronto. And what it is is, and you might imagine this people around uh, that listen to us, you draw a square on a wall, you take a tennis ball and a bat and you throw it and try and hit the, hit the square. If you hit the square without the bat hitting it somewhere, then you that's a strike. And it's like that game and there was various how far you hit it was a single, a double, a triple, so on, home run if you hit it over certain far. We called it wall ball. It was kind of just invented as you went along. And there's a variation of that everywhere in North America for the most part, right? Because it's baseball and you need yeah. to play it. You don't always have 22 guys to play it, right? Well, or always 18, 18 guys to play it. I'm getting full soccer in my head all the time here now yeah. anyway. But yeah. No, it's baseball. fascinating. Go Jays. And uh, on that note, Kevin, maybe we've uh, said too much and we should bring Cody on for our AFL talk now.
1: You are listening to SPN Radio, powered by the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit sportspodcastingnetwork.com for
0: more. And welcome back to the Five Rings Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins along with Kevin Laramie. Uh, joining us on the line is Cody Royal. He is an Aussie that is the head coach of AFL Canada. He's joining us to talk a bit about a bit about the grand final that just took place, but also about just sort of the spread of Aussie rules across uh, both Canada and around the world. Cody, how are you doing today? Well, I'm well, Dwayne. How are you, Mike? I'm well. Uh, let's start with the grand final. Uh, it just took place. Uh, for those that maybe aren't familiar with the sport, uh, that didn't necessarily get a chance to follow the, the the this the league very closely this year, could you just sort of set up what happened and give your impressions? on uh, the title that was just won by Western Bulldogs?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a, a sport most people have kind of caught on TFN 2 at, at random times in the morning when you're getting home late from the bar or something like that. It tends to be on at about 2 a.m. Um, but, yeah, we just had the grand final. Um, to be honest, it was a sensational season. Very rarely in Aussie rules or in the AFL, so many teams come into contention? Uh, Usually, you know, out of the 18 teams, the top four tend to be quite dominant and and they tend to um, go on and win the premiership. But what we saw this year was a team come from nowhere. The the Bulldogs finished seventh. So they only just squeaked into the finals. um, Had to go... uh, Western Bulldogs had based in Melbourne. They had to travel to Perth. They came back to Melbourne. They went to Sydney and then back to Melbourne for the grand final. So they just had the most arduous uh, finals process to go through and ended up winning their first premierships. So um, for those people that don't know, the Bulldogs are kind of the the Leicester City or the Kansas City Royals or the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's another one of those stories. They're a small club. Um, Not much is expected from them. So uh, to achieve all that, uh was, was just sensational.
0: Yeah, fair, fair enough. And uh, for those that are only vaguely familiar with it, can you just set up the scene of, of how important the grand final, what that means to Australians, what kind of day that is in Australia?
2: Absolutely. The, the easiest example I can give you is that in Melbourne, they made the Friday before the AFL grand final a public holiday. So, you know, if you can imagine, there's not many equivalents here uh, in North America, but uh, I think that speaks volumes in terms of how much it means to the people, particularly of Melbourne, but in general in Australia. Um, So it's designed to let people go out and experience the grand final. There's a a parade through Melbourne um, and ultimately 100,000 people show up to the grand final in you know this sport that's only played professionally in one country and that's Australia. So it's uh, it's definitely our our equivalent of hockey or um, you know football in the in the United States. It's it's on that level.
1: When you're looking at the big teams, can you lay the land? Who is the favourite? Uh, contenders the perennial contenders that we talk about here uh on my tv at least i always seem to catch collingwood what other teams what other big teams there's author and sydney swans bulldogs and champion what are the big clubs in the afl yeah collingwood certainly
2: the biggest club um and an interesting story they you know they were um Closed the folding not so long ago um, and rebuilt their club and have become a powerhouse. Uh, definitely financially, they've also won a premiership recently. Um, more recently, if you go through the, let's say, the last decade, the dominant teams have certainly been the Sydney Swans, who played in the grand final. They lost to the Bulldogs. They were heavy favourites to win again. Um, Hawthorne, who had won three straight premierships, um, they're my team that I support, and, and I grew up in, in that suburb um, in Melbourne. Uh, so I so saw a lot of them, again, when they were quite bad in the, in the 90s and have become good, just like Collingwood, um, and, uh, and Geelong as well, uh, who have just had a, a recent history of premierships. So Sydney, Geelong, and, and Hawthorne have shared most of the last uh, 10 years' worth of premierships. So they're, they're the powerhouses, and, and Collingwood are in that group as well.
1: Can you explain to us, Cody, uh, what is AFL Canada and uh, what does it entail for uh, this country where you mentioned? The sport is not played professional here, but it is being played in Canada.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, So AFL Canada is the governing body over here. They are tasked with growing the sport in Canada. Uh, So we we are actual actually an AFL entity. So we report into the AFL on a quarterly or or hockey basis on, on what we're up to and, and have regular meetings with them. Um, and so they basically oversee uh, a bunch of clubs, I think we're at 36 football clubs now across Canada, literally from Victoria right to Halifax. So we span the entire country. And, um, and so part of my role is, is obviously to help develop the game as well, but I, I coach the, the national team, so I'm getting players from... Across the country to uh, to playing international tournaments, so it's not just like it's it's kind of landed here and thrived here. You know, we're playing against Great like, Britain and the United States and France and Sweden and, and teams like that. So um, yeah, uh, we have a national presence. It's just it hasn't quite been felt yet, um, but we're working towards that to to have a bit more of a presence on a national scale.
0: Cody, uh, I, I'm curious about how this works on an international level. I assume that the Australian uh, doesn't Australia doesn't compete directly with countries like Canada. Uh, that they, they because they have the professional infrastructure, that just would be men against boys. I would imagine, not to be dismissive, but you know what I'm saying. Um, how does the international game work? Exactly, Rod. Right.
2: I mean, international excludes Australia, uh, it would be, uh, be ridiculous. We wouldn't get the ball. But um, it's it essentially, um, uh, you know, there's, there's AFL France that is, is trying to achieve what AFL Canada is trying to achieve. And, um, and so there's all these um, governing bodies of countries where, you know, uh, let's say someone just went for a kick at a footy 20 years ago and it's turned into a little bit of a league. Um, what it culminates in is uh, the AFL International Cup, which is held triannually. Um, so we're about to go back to Melbourne next year, um, and it's basically the World Cup of Indigenous football. It's used by the AFL as a showcase for how the game has or game is developing internationally, um, and it also you know, it, it provides international competition uh, to see where where we stack up um, on an international level. And then in between those those three year tournaments. Um, uh, we traditionally play the United States every year uh, just because they're so close. I know over in Europe, they have the European Championships where literally everyone from Croatia to uh, Finland play um, you know, in a collective tournament. Um, so you know, it, it's all kind of trying to, to work towards the World Cup, which, which we're going to next year.
1: Outside of Australia, Cody, which, which is the hotbed? Where, where is the hotbed for Aussie Rules Football outside of Australia?
2: uh question, right now, there's, there's a little bit of focus everywhere. The AFL is certainly pouring a lot of money and infrastructure into the United States. The idea being that there's been people like a Canadian, Mike Pike, who used to play for our national rugby team, who converted to become uh, a, a, a starting ruckman in a Premiership team for the Sydney Swans. Um, so they're looking at North American athletes like that and saying, well, even guys that are, let's say, playing Division 2 basketball, we might be able to get those guys at 22 and, and you know, they've got the raw measurables, they've got the, the jumping, the, the running. Um, they're certainly super athletic. We can actually turn them into Aussie rules players. Um, so they're, they're having, um, you know, combines in, in Los Angeles and inviting ex-basketballers to come. So that's certainly one. China is another one. Similar reason, just the amount of athletes that uh, are in existence there. I know there's some some struggles with getting access to the best ones in China. And also South Africa. South Africa is a big one because it has, you know, we play on a cricket pitch. So uh, South Africa, obviously, is a cricket-playing country. They not only have the athletes, but they have the infrastructure. They have the ground. So all you need is give them a bunch of uh, footballs and and they can run around and kick it. So there's probably three and and they're all in the different corners of the globe. So so Africa, China and the US would be the, the
0: big focuses right now. You mentioned Mike Pike, and that was actually going to be my my next question. Is that sort of the next natural evolution of the AFL in Australia is to find more international player presence? I mean, obviously, we're many years away between international, true international competition that includes Australia, I suspect. But to have more guys, more Mike Pikes out there, more guys they find, is that a reasonable goal in the next few years to have an increased international presence on the, pit, on the field for teams? Yeah,
2: definitely. It, it just has to be... Um, You know, Australia at whatever we're at, 24 million people right now between all the different sports that we play. um, You know, the next evolution has to be to go outside and get players. And and there's, I mean, Ireland is one that has, you know, repeatedly been able to convert um, athletes from game football to go over and play as the rules. But that's that's an easy one. Now it's gone into the Mike pipes, getting guys from rugby, getting guys from rugby league or, or basketball from the United States, like I spoke about before, um, and then converting them. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, some measures have been taken. There is an international looking list now where you can go and add some guys to your list that don't count against your salary caps that you can... Have training in a professional environment. and Try and train them up and, and get them used to the nuances of obviously. Um But then also, you've got it's like the NFL or the Premier League that these coaches and the development managers they're they're there and they need to deliver in a very quick time frame. So you've kind of got you know one side pulling on we need results now, and and from an international growth perspective, we need time to you know, train these guys up and to get them into actual games. So. It's an interesting landscape at the moment, but yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Mike Pike is a great example. That there, there needs to be more of those types of players uh, come along. Uh,
0: f- forgive me if this is a naive question, but I, I have always been curious of why the game doesn't have any or doesn't have much of a presence in New Zealand. You would think that uh, because of the shared sporting culture, I know they're different countries, but the kind of shared similar culture in similar areas of the world, there'd be more of a presence there. C- can you address that?
2: Yeah, simple answer rugby. Um, it's it's why, it's the same reason not many other sports, and I know you guys are, are a big uh, soccer heads. it's the reason in Canada why none of those other sports have taken off and they're huge globally you now up against hockey. Um, I think every athlete wants to be a rugby player in New Zealand just as every athlete here wants to play for the Leafs or the Flames or, or the Habs. Um, and I think they're just in that, that similar vein where um, that's ideally where they want to head, and, and that's what they're obsessed about. And AFL is a sport that they
0: know a little bit about. They may have played at school, but not all that interested in. All right, fair, fair enough. Let's turn our attention to end the conversation to, to here in Canada. Uh, you are the head coach of the national team. Uh, what are their prospects uh, that in the next year uh, to do well at at the Cup that you mentioned earlier? Uh, how how do you feel that uh, you're setting up for that?
2: Yeah, really well. Uh, we, we had our best-ever finish at the 2014 tournament. We came fifth. Um, so we won four of our five games that we played. And we set in, in motion a, a three-year plan that was aimed at delivering the Cup. Um, so for us, the next step is to compete with the big boys, which are the New Zealand, the, the Cup in the Guinea, South Africa countries that are a lot more established than we are and, and also don't have as far to travel as we do. Our biggest challenge has always been getting our guys to have three weeks off, leave their jobs, leave their families, their wives, their girlfriends, their kids, to go to Australia to compete for this thing. So um, our our president, Lachie Griffiths, a, a huge shout-out to him. He's been the most supportive guy in the country in terms of allowing us to to do certain things and invest in certain things, you know, technology, um, basically whatever we, we want to, to put into place to have a shot at winning. Um, and also we've been able to put in a development process across the country where we can identify the best players. And, and one of those things is actually we developed a provincial tournament. So BC, Alberta, Ontario, and combined Eastern team, Quebec and, and Nova Scotia. Um, all came together so we, we could then scout those teams and identify the players that we wanted to pull into the national program. So we actually have three levels, which, um, which is great. You know, there, there's going to be people that they never get a chance to, to represent Canada, but they get a chance to represent Ontario or, or Quebec. Um, you know, and that's helping to draw more and more people into the game, which just gives us a, a bigger pool to choose from. So, um, the, the aim is to win, definitely. Uh, that's definitely going to be challenging, but um, yeah, we're we're not shy about saying our intentions to go to Australia next year. And there's going to be 25 countries all trying to do the same thing. But so we think we're we've got the structures and we've got the players in place to be able to have a, a shot at winning.
0: All right. uh, That's a final question here. Uh, uh, You're a you're a halfback for the Broadview Hawks. I understand, according to the the interweb here, Uh, that's a Toronto team in the Toronto League, which is one of the bigger ones uh, in the country. I think it is the biggest one in the country, it's fair to say. Correct. Um, And uh, I'm just curious if someone is listening to this and their their interest is peaked. They've seen it on TV at two in the morning. Uh, Maybe they're a rugby player that's uh, looking for a new challenge. Uh, How can they go about in various parts of the country to, to reach out and get involved in this sport?
2: Yeah, um, definitely to uh, whatever province they're in. Um, have a look if there is a, a governing body. So BC, Alberta, uh, Ontario, Tibet and Nova Scotia are the main five. Um, or you can reach out directly to AFL Canada and they'll, uh, it's just aflcanada.com. So I think there's a map on there that shows you where all the clubs are. Um, easy to locate. And I think... Um, yeah, but you made a good point. There. Where we do really well and, and the, the types of players that stick around in Aussie rules um, are people that are interested in a competitive sport. Um, so we, we get you know, players from basketball or hockey or, or rugby who do want to still be in a competitive sport and don't want to kind of drop back to a beer league or a pickup league. Um, I think he really enjoy Aussie rules. It's got a lot of elements of everything. Um, and there should be a club in your area. So I'd say the easiest way to, to get involved would be either aflcanada.com. Um, you can also, I guess, jump on your Twitter and, and follow me and send me a message and I can direct you in the, the right path as well.
0: I did a story for the Guelph Mercury back when it was still publishing a, about a Guelph team in this league a few years ago. My understanding, my memory of the time was there was a restriction in the amount of Australians on each team. Is that still the case? It is.
2: Yeah, so 18 players on the field and only six of those can be Australian. So up in Ontario, um, there's different rules in different provinces. So yeah, ours is a real focus on developing the sport for Canadians. It's not an expat league, they're just Aussies that met at the pub and decided to go and play footy together. Um, we're really interested in teaching the sport so that, you know, we can develop fans over here and, and have people get up at, two o'clock in the morning to watch the AFL grand final. Um, and that was the best thing for me is that you know, I was sitting there watching it on the weekend and all the people that were texting me about what was going uh, into the fans. You know, and that's, you know, as a coach and someone who's trying to build this boy, it was,
0: All right. Cody, uh, Cody Royal, the head coach of AFL Canada. Uh, we do thank you for your time and we uh, wish you luck uh, next year. Hopefully we can touch base uh, closer to that tournament. You are listening to SPN radio powered by the sports podcasting network. Visit sportspodcastingnetwork.com for more. And welcome back, and thanks again to Cody for taking some time. Um, I kind of I like that idea of uh, of trying to spread the game in the way that they're doing. And I think that to be serious about it for a second, uh, women's hockey could probably benefit from that. And I've advocated for that before, to, to take the U.S. and Canada, have them have them play a match series, Kevin, and uh, and then just have the rest of the world compete for the world championship. But uh, I think I've talked about that topic before. Yeah. Um, well, it's
1: just because, too, where the amount of players in Australia that could just – be naturalized anywhere else and become like uh, the new Qatar. Qatar could become quite easily a powerhouse in this sport if they ever felt like naturalizing a couple of Australians.
0: Yeah, and I don't know what the natural end game for it is, other than to just grow the sport. And I think that if you listen to Cody carefully, that he he was saying at the end there how much uh, the joy he took in the fact that just Canadians were texting him about what was happening in the grand final he was spreading something he loves to to his new home and, and I think that that's just part of it too I don't think I think if you probably got deep within the psyche of most Aussies uh, that are involved in trying to spread this game in different parts of the world they probably wouldn't say that they ever envision you know a world championship in which Australia doesn't win it and they were involved but they do want to their game, to be more popular.
1: (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong, there'll be a controversy the first year that that happens, that Australia's part of the World Championship, and they don't win it. They'll be like, why did we do this? We let other people take our sport? It's our sport? We own this game? Uh, Maybe not. One day you don't, and that's the beauty of it.
0: Yes, exactly. And that's kind of fun in terms of the the AFL. And it's always fascinated me too. I mean, it's hard to follow, but uh, certainly the story, if you want to look it up, the Western Bulldogs, as you said, it's kind of a neat one. It's a bit of an underdog story. They came in as a low seed in their playoffs. I love their playoff format too. It's a, it's a great sort of balance between a regular season rewards and, and playoff possibilities. Uh, if you look at the Aussie system, it's like a page playoff and curling kind of the way they do it where you get second chances and things like that. So that's kind of a neat way to do things, but uh, it's a nice story there. Curry, you to look it up. They were playing the Sydney Swans in the final, which is a a team that hadn't won for many, many years despite a massive following and and sort of uh, support and then finally did uh, get the championship and then have become a powerhouse since then um Hawthorne's is his team they've won several years in a row uh my my girlfriend uh, has an Aussie friend who was a Geelong fan so uh so we we've, we've adopted Geelong here in this household a little bit at least I'm not supposed to sometimes when I'm being contrarian I pick St. Kilda because that's the crosstown rival and uh they're not very good St. Kilda um they they remind me the Leafs they they are massive massively popular a lot of uh like stars in australia like st kilda but they haven't won anything since the 60s so uh, there you go uh, that was why i chose them as as my contrarian team to to my <laughs> girlfriend's geelong team so there you go
1: and i was always watching collingwood because for some reason they were the one being shown now there's more games but if you go back to two three years ago when it started to be shown on tsn it was always like collingwood and against yeah. hawthorne exactly now we've seen a lot of sydney swans and uh, other teams
0: yeah, precisely. And uh, uh, that uh, season will be a few years before it gets down. We'll, we'll try and touch base with Cody as they get closer to that tournament there and uh, support the Canadian teams in all their colors wherever they play. Um, as, I, as we said at the end of the interview, uh, you know, if you are interested in this, uh, I did an article on it a few years ago. Uh, the leagues are very open. Uh, to having people come and try it. Uh, Maybe even just you want to train with them. There's a, where I played, when I was doing my League One work this year uh, here in Ontario, there was at one of the fields I worked at, there was an Aussie Rules uh, co-ed sessions that would take place just before we got on the pitch and it was kind of fascinating to see them go through the drills and all that and a lot of the people seem to be just out there enjoying the process of learning how to play a game that they didn't, weren't exposed to when they were young and that's something that uh, we don't get a lot of chances to do anymore if we're in the sporting world. So uh, give them a call, give them a try, especially if you're a rugby player looking for a new challenge. I know I was talking to an Aussie that was one of the six Aussie expats when I did that story and he said the reason he chose to do it, he wasn't really an Aussie rules player in Australia but he had enough exposure to it that he figured he could pick it up pretty quick over here, and, and it was less physical in his mind uh, at the Canadian level here than rugby would have been for him. So it was offered him to still be competitive, as Cody said, while at the same time, um, you know, letting, giving his body, his thirty-plus-year-old body at that time, a little bit of a break. So, if you're interested, yeah, give him a that,
1: shout. Let's not get wrong; it's a very physical game, where just not contact, but collision is part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, if you look at the average age of an Aussie rules player, they're in their early 20s at the pro level. Like it's it's a highly demanding game. But, yeah, he was saying that in terms of collisions and concussions and things like that, that there was a little less risk of that in Aussie rules than there was in rugby. Uh, But, you know, maybe because when you get
1: hit, you're out for the rest of the season. So you only get to win once. Yeah, he's
0: he's he's comparing like boulders to rocks in terms of getting hit, right? Like yeah. it, it's a contact sport, so you, you're, there's a risk there. But uh, that's what I'm saying. But there's less of a risk than than the boulder. All right, uh, we wanted to talk about a few other issues that were happening in the world of Olympic uh, uh, sports uh, before we said goodbye for today's show, and and obviously we have to talk about Sharapova and the, her doping yeah. ban being reduced to 15 months from the two years.
1: Yeah. Well, it's been uh, for technically. It's been seen in other cases, the Meldonium of earlier this year, everybody that got caught in the early months of 2016 with Meldonium. Let's just recap here. Meldonium has been on the ban list of WADA and uh, the International Olympic Committee since January 1st, 2016. Before that, it was not on the actual ban list. What Meldonium is, is a... Allegedly, a medicine that helps with heart condition if you have abnormal or different. It's a mostly used in the formerly Soviet Mafia, area. I believe, yeah. Yeah, it's a Latvian descent, but it's more used by uh, European athletes than other athletes around the world. And a lot of them have been caught early this year, Sharapova being one of the most famous of those athletes that got caught in two weeks in 2016 in January.
0: Yeah, it. it beggars belief that they aren't using it for uh, performance-enhancing purposes. Well, However, because
1: uh, well, let's remember the, the the stats I gave when we talked about it in January, Dwayne. 03 percent of the actual uh, population of, like st- statistically speaking, should be eligible. Should n- have that need. Should have a need for it. Yeah, a need for it. And in the athletes of that region, when it was tested in in the European uh, Games in Baku in 2015 they found that 30% of the athletes were using it. So there's a huge, huge, huge disparity here. We're talking about 30% compared to 0.3% in the actual population. There shouldn't be that much of a disparity between the two.
0: But yeah, exactly. But it's, so it's, it's right to go on the band list, but at the same time, it wasn't on the band's list list before, before January. And, the argument that a lot of athletes were making is that the, the way that it was informed that they could no longer take what they would have called a supplement. And, uh,
1: um, the way it was uh, actually believed is technically it was supposed to take one month to be out of your system. So if you knew that it was going to – and they were uh, acknowledged less. It takes more than one month. And the IOC advised athletes with less time that it takes for your body to get rid of it. Then well, we're going to start testing for it. So it wasn't necessarily fair the way you uh, WADA and all the other government bodies that banned that substance asked athletes to to get rid of it. When if you were on it, which was legal, maybe not ethical, but it was legal to get out of your body, it took more time than you were advised Uh, like a drop date so that's why the timetable didn't match and that's why they were lenient on some of the suspensions like Sharapova because of um, after the fact it's 15 months instead of two year she will be able to compete starting March next year
0: yeah and look when it comes to the world of tennis which we'll focus on here for a second there is a history of them maybe sweeping some of this stuff under the rug uh, and then you get into that whole ethical debate about, you know, pro sports like tennis that kind of operate on their own. They are Olympic sports, as we know, but by and large, they they do most of their, their big tournaments, their big uh, attention moments come on their in their own world. You know, can they operate in their own ways? And that's an ethical conversation and an ethical discussion, ethical thought process that a lot of fans have to have, whether they're comfortable with that. But certainly 15 months isn't nothing. Uh, she's not an athlete that's at the beginning of her career. So... It'll be very interesting to see whether she can bounce back when she does come back. They're they're suggesting that the French Open next year will be her first uh, tournament that she'll be eligible for, first major tournament she'll be eligible for. Yeah,
1: it would make sense because in March, technically, 15 months, so that would be mid-March, so yeah.
0: Yeah, and she was caught at the Aussie Open of this past year. So there you go. Uh, So that's where we're going with there. Uh, We wanted to talk a little bit uh, also about any final thoughts on that, Kev. We've talked a lot about that. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's Meldonium. Just go back to the archives of Five Rings Podcast earlier this year. If you want to have the Meldonium 101, what it is, where it comes from, and why it would use more... Extensively by European athletes over the last decade than anywhere else in the world.
0: Yeah, and it, it is a very interesting case, but we'd be repeating ourselves at this point. Uh, let's talk about, well, Rome's gone. They we're have, well, speaking of repeating ourselves. Uh, the games no one wants seem to be moving to the summer side. Uh, Rome is now out. Uh, they have a mayor there that uh, was elected on a sort of anti-politician uh, wave a few months ago. We, As we all know, the politics of Italy are interesting to say the least. Uh, this individual was elected basically, basically saying that she was going to sweep things up and reform the past. And one of the things that she's done is, is, is it's not really in her control right now. She's not really doing the things that uh, that were suggested that she w- was going to do when she was elected – so uh, she's made a very high-profile move very recently in withdrawing the support of the Olympic bid. So it does seem like the Eternal City is not going to be hosting the 2024 and it Summer was, Olympics.
1: It was one of their platform, one of her program in our election campaign was to be opened about the potential of Rome having the Olympic Games, wanting the people to have a say, and they did, and they don't want it.
0: Yeah, and that's becoming increasingly no one wants it. And well, it's that, getting... to, to be
1: fair, it's because of the way they're portrayed the way as well. If you, in your campaign, you, you say that, oh, it's not good for us, let's focus on us, it's used at a leverage point. It's not necessarily the actual games themselves is the way you portray them.
0: No, for, fair enough, but the percep- perception is reality right now in the world, and there are increasingly less and less people willing, other than dictatorships, Willing to take the risk on Olympic bids, and I don't know what the answer is. Now, Paris still is in the running, and I suspect with Rome withdrawing right now that so long as Paris remains in this bid, I suspect that's where the IOC will want to go. Uh, They had a presentation this past week where it seemed to go well. Uh, Everyone seems to still support that bid in Paris. Uh, they of course didn't get the London games. That, they, the games ended up going to London, so this is something they wanted for a while. So I anticipate that Paris 2024 will be a thing that happens. Uh, LA, I'm not hearing a lot of noise there. Uh, the U.S. doesn't have a lot of heart. You were talking about a, a story that Obama, President Obama, was talking about how he feels. Um, well, yeah, I, if
1: you go back to the games that I think were uh, what Chicago. Was it? You're talking the
0: yeah, the most recently the Tokyo yeah. 2020.
1: No, they were trying. No, they were trying to get the real games. It was for the real games, so it was happened in 2006. Uh, when he was governor of Illinois, okay, yeah, he was asked to if he were going to go to uh, the presentation. You, he, he was said that it was going to have a big weight, it was going to make a big impression for him to go there and try to get it. Actually, I think it was two thousand and nine, six years before. So, so uh, yeah, eight thousand, eight thousand nine was the timetable. So when he was president, and unfortunately, Michelle was Michelle Obama was part of the organizing committee in the presentation for Chicago's bid and they had a very fair bid that everybody thought was one of the favorite and they were the first one eliminated in that process even though the president of the United States made a trip to Lausanne to help with their presentation so it was really felt convoluted and that's what President Obama mentioned that the IOC and FIFA included FIFA in that conversation where their decisions always seemed a bit tricked he said quote-unquote a bit tricked we all know what that means
0: yeah. Well, look, and that was around the same same time that the Qatar bid was uh, beating the United yeah, States. And let's just
1: put it that clear, Dwayne. The president in the United States said that on the record, which because it means that he can prove it. So yeah, we're not talking about something that he just said out of nowhere, right?
0: No, fair enough. And look, and the IO that we've talked about Vision Twenty Twenty that came out of that those bids, but we're increasingly seeing discouraging. Evidence, including that Swiss uh, bid book that came out, that suggests that Vision 2020 is nothing but lip service. And I don't know what the answer is, other than to have an Olympics where it's not like figuratively the games no one wants; it's literally the games no one wants. And that might happen on the winter side first, because there's less cities that are capable of hosting a winter games. And if you know, I don't know collusion. If the cities of the world just all went, you know what, IOC? No then maybe they might finally get the message and and legitimately make some changes so that they once again are attractive and they're not going to put people in bankrupt. And that's for those of us that want games in places and see that the soft benefits that do exist to hosting these games, you just need to... The IOC to sort of make some changes on the hard side, on the financial side, so that they're affordable, they're presentable, they're sellable because that's ultimately what it comes down to. You can't sell Olympics to people anymore because they just initially get their back up and go uh, like instinctively and say no. They just say no now and without change.
1: Hey, how about we – nope,
0: nope, 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 nope. nope. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Without changes. I'm not
1: hearing you. I got my fingers in my ears. La, la, la.
0: And without significant changes, that's not going to change anytime soon. And we're seeing it with the summer bids, which are the big prize in the IOC's package. And right now, you know, it wouldn't shock me. It really
1: um, looked like a Los Angeles is going to have them, though.
0: Well, I think it'll be Paris. Uh, but it wouldn't even shock me if Hungary gets them too, because they <laughs> have the uh, they have the government that is best able to force bids through. And if it gets down to a situation like it did, uh, you know, with the with, uh, – Well, Maddie and and Beijing, then, well, we all know where those games are going. The games no one wanted went to someplace no one wanted them to go because that's all they had left. At any rate, Kevin. Um, These are all topics that we talk about a lot in this show. If you're new to us from the Olympic broadcast, uh, we go into depth into the bidding process all the time. We try and do weird sports from, no weird, you know what I mean, (laughs) eclectic sports from around the world. We try and give them some attention that they deserve. Hey, Uh, we talked
1: about netball last year for crying out loud.
0: Yeah. And uh, certainly in the days ahead on this show, um, as we've sort of, uh, you know, it was it was a tough we needed a bit of a emotional mental break from it after the Olympic coverage, which was pretty intense for us uh, to do daily during those games. And, you know, it had a lot of. uh, a lot of prep involved in that so uh you know we're back in the process now we generally go bi-weekly unless we're doing an event so i think that on that note unless you have anything else you want to add today to the afl conversation or the drug conversation or the bidding conversation kevin i think on that note we'll say goodbye for this show and we'll see you in a couple of weeks
1: Exactly. So until next time on the Fiverr Podcast, let us know your thoughts. What would you like us to cover next? Is there a big event that you're looking forward to that you would like to have our views on it? Let us know. Sportspodcastingnetwork.com. And until next time, on your podium, folks. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com.